Hi, Spooky Squad. These are your murderous moderators, Danielle and Christy speaking. We've come out from behind our desk with a special episode. And we just want to let you know that Katie and Kenny are fine. They're just fine. They wanted us to take over this episode because they love us and we love them. And everything's fine. They are certainly not tied up and gagged underneath the table. But we love them so much that we just had to show them uh, that we could take over the show for a week. So you are stuck with the two of us. And Danielle, I started thinking about the reason that I love our hosts so much and like where my love affair with horror really started. Do you do you remember that first time you really decided that you liked horror? Um, is probably as soon as I was born because I was born in October. So my earliest memories are Halloween and spooky stuff was all over the house because my parents were super into it. I didn't get to really watch a horror movie until I was somewhat age appropriate, but it was that holy grail, like I have to get there. And then I fell in love ever since. I I completely agree. I think that I started watching horror movies way before I should have. I had a grandfather that thought that was hilarious um, to show us like Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. But another one of those things that I remember from like growing up and really falling in love with horror um, was that I used to read a lot. Uh, I was kind of a chunky kid and definitely a nerd. And I used to have this whole ritual where I would get like special snacks, (laughs) which in my case, I think was like saltine crackers and then individual slices of cheese, like folded into quarters. And then I would like go and hide somewhere in a corner with, um, with Fear Street, always Fear Street, and like eat my fat kid snack and just like jump right into that story. Did you ever read Fear Street? I read a few. I was definitely more of a Goosebumps kid. I have a similar story where I, I'm an only child, so books were my BFF until I until I got a dog, and then dog was my BFF. But um, I had Goosebumps all over the place. Like they were stacked higher and higher in my room, and I used to go to my grandma's lot to be her babies at me, and she would make us um, graham crackers with butter, which is like the the most sad snack in the world, but it was delicious. So that was like my, my fat kid snack, and so I would have my graham crackers and butter, and I would be sitting there with my book. And goosebumps were always, always high up there on the list for sure. But I did get into Fear Street too as time went on. <laughs> Have you ever revisited Goosebumps as an adult? Yes, I did. I read a few when I was like packing up stuff and I found some. And then I've also got watched the show again when it got put on Netflix. And some of it, I mean, still holds up. Yeah, of course it's cheesy, but I mean, if you put yourself back in that mindset of like that age you could see how scary it was like the haunted mask like still gets to me like the fact that this mask is not coming off of her face is still 
crazy frightening, <laughs> even as an adult. So it, there's still there's still a lot of good there for sure. <laughs> well, I can I don't know really kind of what prompted it. Like I had a nostalgic moment about two years ago, and I was like, I used this used this was a big part of like who I was, and I I got on eBay. And I searched for a lot of Fear Street books. And somebody was selling like 80 some, like their collection from when they were a kid. Because I never kept any of my shit. I have no idea where it went. I had a ton of them. Um, But so I bought this lot of Fear Street books. And I've been kind of slowly reading my way through them as an adult super nerd. So like, (laughs) so (laughs) So now we have wine and Fear Street. And so I thought it might be fun today since, you know, we're in charge and Katie and Kenny are nowhere in sight um, that maybe we can walk back through one of these uh, Fear Street novels from when I was a kid. Um, and what I've done is I've, I've kind of summarized it, like I've kind of taken it chapter by chapter. And I'm going to tell you uh, this very spooky story from... I wouldn't say it's terribly spooky, but it is a story um, from the Fear Street series. You're down for that? I am very down. Sweet. I meant to send you a picture, and I think I'm going to try to send it to you now. Come on. Because we should not overlook the cover of this one. And I selected this one because I'm a super nerd and I'm also one of those people that like doesn't know about things until years after they're a thing. Because I recently got Hulu and they have 30 seasons of The Amazing Race. <laughs> and I, I, I know I'm like 30 years too late to this party, but I've been wa- watching from season one. Amazing Race. I, I don't know why. Go ahead. I'm in love with this cover. I'm looking at it right now. Um, It's pretty awesome. I believe the copyright on this one is 1992. I'm I'm really in love with his cable knit sweater. It's it's making me envious. I want it. It's pretty fantastic. So for the book that we're going to talk about today, we've chosen the Ski Weekend uh, by R.L. Stein. This is in the Fear Street series. If you ever had a Scholastic Book Club order um, when you were in school, this you know these books were part of that. And uh, this cover that I've just sent Danielle, and we'll put a picture of it up in the up in the Facebook group so you guys can take a look at it. Um, we've got two sets of couples, and two of them are gingers for some reason. We don't know why. Just for variety, I guess. And um, they're wearing some truly fantastic early 80s sweater. <laughs> and it's uh, they're in some kind of a ski lodge and there's like a fire lit. And outside there's a very menacing creature, uh, like a dude in a jacket and like a ski mask. And I've got two problems with this cover. <laughs> First of all, Danielle, have you ever picked up a ski in your hand? I can't say that I have. I'm a California kid. We didn't ski, mm. but I don't think well, it, I've never seen people hold them that way. Well, here's the deal. 
I'm I'm from Colorado, and I can tell you, a single ski is not a great weapon. It's uh, it's neither sharp nor lightweight. Um, you'd probably hit yourself in the face with it before like something would happen. So that's my first problem. This the one of the the couples inside has kind of got his arm around his girl, and he's he's wielding a single ski in the other hand. And my other problem. Yeah, so this guy outside, why are we judging him? <laughs> They're I mean, at a ski lodge. It's true. It's a ski mask. It's very true. He could just be taking a stroll. Like maybe he got lost on his way or he's just going somewhere. I mean, he's not holding a weapon, it looks like. He's just he's taking a stroll. I think. He's he is mid stride, and everyone is like creepering him straight out the window, and he's looking. He's probably looking back, like, "What the fuck are you looking at? I'm just out. I went for firewood, people. Jesus." But yeah, judgy so that's rich people again. For sure. Oh yeah, these look like judgy rich kids, a hundred percent. Um. So let's see. Um, so yeah, so that's our cover. And then the cover always has, um, there's certain characteristics that we always get from these Fear Street books. Um, we always get that same print. I want to know what that font is. I feel like that could be useful. Um, and we always get this like kind of menacing quote, um, on the front of the book. And I guess that's the teaser to like, let you know what you're getting into. And this one says, quote, it was a perfect setting for murder. I I don't think he's a, I don't know. I just don't get a murder vibe from this guy yet. But. You know, I agree. I agree. There's definitely an elitist thing going on here. This guy clearly is trying to keep his house warm. And these little fox are like, ooh, you're wearing a ski mask. But let's dive right in, Daniel. Let's do it. Now, I try to enter the creative space uh, with a clean mind and not a dirty mind. Um, but it's real hard sometimes. No pun intended. I, uh, I've got the first few lines of this book being, Doug, slow down. And then Doug's all, hey, I can handle it. So, I'm, you know, I just went there. Um, but no, so they're they're driving on this icy road, and Doug is driving really crazy, and they are driving a Plymouth, which, sidebar, I used to own a Plymouth. I had a Plymouth laser, and that shit was fucking cool. Just letting you know. I think it what was a 92. A mountain. Yeah, probably not. I'm just thinking, like, it was factually accurate that this car would have made <laughs> Well, and like, you you know, we, Doug starts to kind of talk about that because he starts driving kind of crazy. He's in the car with um, three other people. So there's another another guy there uh, whose name is Red. Guess what color his hair is? Dun, and, dun, dun. <laughs> and then there's two girls. There's Sharon. Sharon? Shannon? We don't give a fuck. I think it's Shannon. Shannon and Ariel. Okay. Guess what color her hair is? And. Yeah, they're, I don't know why we needed redheads for this book, but we did. 
So they're all in this car. Go ahead. Is it subtle shade to the redheads that we're always like, there's there's something wrong with them? Maybe they're the murderers. You know? I don't know. Stein, sometimes I wonder if like he had like a thing for high school aged girls. Because in all of the Fear Street that I ever read, nobody's ever chunky or like ugly. Yeah. What's up with that? I don't know. Everybody's got like flowing. So I don't know. Maybe this is like part of like his thing. Maybe he's, he enjoys redheads. We don't know. So Doug's in the car and he's driving all crazy and he's doing your like typical douchebag. Like I'm going to scare the girls in the car by driving crazy. Here's the problem. They're driving down a mountain in the middle of a blizzard. So there's a decent chance he could actually kill everybody. And let's see. Look at my. Oh, and so as they're driving crazy down this mountain, Shannon is a Shannon is Doug's girlfriend. Okay, Doug's a douchebag driver. Shannon's his girlfriend. She's the blonde. Ariel is the redhead, and she has a boyfriend named Randy that mysteriously like decided he was gonna go home early from the ski trip and has like left the story before the story even begins. So she has a boyfriend, but then she meets this random guy whose name is Red, who is also in the car with them. And Red asks them to give him a ride down into town because the storm is starting to kick up. Make sense? Got it. Got it. So we've got our two couples. One is a real couple. The girl has a boyfriend. The other guy is kind of mysterious and has come out of nowhere. And we might all die in a fiery car crash because Doug's a douchebag. Uh, let's That's see. It's them driving down the mountain in a blizzard. That could be the Yes. <laughs> yes. Not going to foreshadow the foreskin. Little nod to our paranormal chicks. Um, so yeah, so one of the other things that, that we should probably say up front here, because this happens all the way through anybody who's read Stein, and I think he used to do this in the Goosebumps books too, so you'll, you'll remember, is there is a cliffhanger at the end of every single chapter. Oh yes, that was definitely a Goosebumps trope as well. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, and I've said this uh, before to people, I feel like Stein, like, writes up a skeleton of what the book's going to be, and then he goes in and, like, fluffs it up, and then he goes in and figures out how to put some kind of a cliffhanger at the end of every chapter. It's very formulaic, but we used to love the shit out of it. For sure. Okay. So let's see. So at the end of this chapter, the end of chapter one, they're like skidding and in the slide and it's like, you know, we might all die. And I was very, it's kind of like those old Bullwinkle cartoons, right? Where the announcer comes on and it's like, will the kids fall to their death? Should Ariel break up with Randy for being a dipshit? Will Doug ever stop overcompensating for his micro penis? Find out the next chapter of Ski Weekend. <laughs> And then we move on to chapter two. So in chapter two, they spin off into a snowbank and everybody's fine. Like they always are. Um, And Ariel kind of like 
jumps into Red's lap out of fear and, um, you know, sets up that whole thing. Mind you, she is a boyfriend. And so they all tease her and they kind of have a laugh and she uh, changes the subject and throws out some weird scientific facts, which they kind of play up in the book as like, that's her thing. She like throws trivia, but that's literally the only time she does it. So I'm not real sure why we need to know that. Moving on. Um, <laughs> and the reason that I included it is because during this time, Red comes out with this line. And I don't know. And again, it's it's been probably a while for most folks. But there are certain phrases um, in these books that Stein used to throw out where it was like his I'm down with the kids moment. Um, and it's not in this particular book, but he used to say things like cool move, Ace. And... Let's see. It's like he's got like a like a handbook of like cool teenager phrases. And so she like throws this trivia out for no reason. And then Red says, gee whiz, tell us another one, Mr. Wizard. Uh, OK. <laughs> I, we don't know why. So she mentions that like. Oh, so Ariel kind of randomly mentions here that she wants to get out of this storm and get back home to Fear Street. So there's our Fear Street tie-in. Um, and for those of you who never read or maybe don't remember, these series of books are based around this town where this one street called Fear Street is kind of the crappy street in town. It's on the bad side of town. And like all these different horror stories somehow stem from this one area of town. So basically what she's told us there is like, she's the poorest kid in the car. Aww. Aww. And we all went, aw for Ariel. So the storm's getting worse. And Red says, you know, I'm a local and I can tell that like, this storm's going to get worse and they're not going to plow these streets. And you know what we should do? We should go off on this side road where they're going to plow the side streets first. And that'll be a good move for us, which, okay, time out. <laughs> I live on a fucking mountain. Nobody plows the side roads. <laughs> and I could have guessed that. Just, I don't, I would, why would they? Why would they take the time to go on the side road? Well, you know, when you're vapid piece of shit teenagers in a car with a stranger in the middle of a blizzard, you should trust him and do what he says. And they do. Um, and they go off on this uh, side road and the car starts to break down. And that's the end of the chapter. So in the beginning of chapter three, they get the car going again and they start freaking out because now they feel like if the car stops, they won't get it started. So they need to make a plan of action because now we have some actual fear that they might actually freeze to death. They're in a blizzard. That seems logical to me. That I'm, I that mean, I'm, I'm just, yeah. Um, and so, and this is the time... Danielle are going to tell you a little story about the time before cell phones. <laughs> because we lived it. And guess what? If your ass breaks down, you get to go to the closest house of a random stranger. 
You're going to walk directly to their front door. You're going to knock on that front door because guess what? A lot of people don't have fucking doorbells either. And hopefully the person that comes to the front door will A, decide to help you, B, let you use their phone, and C, not axe murder you. Important. At last. Important. Did you ever break down and have to knock on somebody's door? No, I don't remember that ever happening. I remember having to use like the little car box phones on the side of the road, like those yellow, like in California, they're yellow and they're just like these little sad little pay phones. I do have memories of those a couple of times, but never having to go to a house, thankfully. I think it only happened once in my memory. And this is such a random tangent, um, but we'll, we'll come back to it. But my, my sister used to drive a yellow 57 Chevy. That was very, very cool. Um, but the problem was it didn't have a working, functioning gas tank light indicator. And we would often run out of gas. And I remember one time we ran out of gas and we had to walk about a mile uh, to a random stranger's house. And they were, they were very nice. It was like, you know, some mom or whatever. Um, but they, they were like, yeah, come in, use the phone. But they were all crowded around the TV and we were like, you know, what's going on? And they were like, well, do you know who O.J. Simpson is? Oh, my God. And I, I didn't fucking know who O.J. Simpson was. And they were like, yeah, he's in. This is a. Ch-. And it was the live footage oh of the police chase. <laughs> what a day to get broken down. Takes, so like, random. Mm-hmm. So random. OK, sorry. Back to the book. <laughs> so they get the car going again. They're looking around to see if there's somewhere to stop. Um, and they're not really seeing anything because it's it's a blizzard. And so Red kind of points off into the distance and he says, I can see a house up there. And no one can really see a house up there. But he swears, yep, there's a house up there. So they park the car kind of off to the side of the road. And they start trekking to the snow up to this house that was there that he seemed to have some knowledge of. Um, and that's where chapter three ends and then chapter four begins and, oh, so the, they knock on the door. The door is answered by this big fucking guy who introduces himself as Lou. Lou invites them in to this huge house and he tells them that at one point this house was a ski lodge but that the the highway was moved or it changed changed positions and now it's not a ski lodge anymore and they just live there um and he's you know you're welcome to use the phone come on in and we learn right away um that lou is an avid hunter okay and he keeps guns lots and lots of guns everywhere apparently like they're just all over the damn place and then he also lets it like slip that like he keeps these guns loaded you know quote just in case and now might be a good time uh for a little lesson in gun safety from a gun owner um the the ammunition shouldn't even be in the same room okay that's all i'm gonna say about that uh so go ahead and that was our gun safety PSA from, from the moderators. I mean, you're welcome. Um, so we then meet Eva, 
who is Lou's wife. And she looks considerably younger than him by maybe like 10 or 15 years. And they go into the kitchen, they're getting some tea, and the cliffhanger at the end of this chapter is a gunshot. Okay? Gun goes off somewhere in the other parts of the house. So, Danielle, this is a, a good time for me to ask you a question. Have you ever heard a mousetrap go off? You know, probably. probably. Like the snappy kind where you like bend it yeah. back. Yeah. Okay, definitely. It's been some time, but definitely <laughs> at some point. So when you've heard that sound, in your mind, did you ever go, oh, that was a gunshot? Okay, well, they did. Yeah, they did. No, not a gunshot, just a mousetrap. It's easy to... Okay. <laughs> first of all, and that's a major jump to conclusion. That's like, why would you go there first? Not like something fell or... I don't know, but instantly it's a gun. Instantly. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot of like, we're going to quietly look the other way uh, so that we can enjoy this story. Um, but yeah, so it's a mousetrap. And what follows is this kind of like weird exchange where the kids like start to make cracks about how awful it would be to set into like step into a trap and orchestrate your own death. And then, like, also, Lou starts to get a little pervy. Like, he starts to make, like, kind of little comments about the teenage girls that he's let in for the night. And we're starting to get, like, a very, like, House of a Thousand Corpses vibe. Where it's starting to break apart a little bit that, like, Lou's maybe not 100% there. And he then, like, moves on from, like, kind of casually hitting on these teenage girls to, like, casually picking a fight with Doug. Okay. okay. Um, go ahead. No, I was just, I was saying, okay, that, that's a choice. We go from flirting to fighting to... Well, yeah, apparently he's also been, like, drinking lots of beers and is now drunk. That kind of gets dropped in there in a weird place. So yeah, so Lou's like a little bit drunk. He's kind of giving Doug some shit. And basically like the two of them are like kind of measuring their dicks in like a metaphorical sense. Hopefully. Um, at least I think so. I don't know. Like, so, but then like a big tree falls down in the yard and some of the guys leave to go clear it out. What the fuck for? I have no idea middle of the storm gotta pick up that log right fucking now you have to it's urgent <laughs> so um so they pick up the fallen tree branch and then ariel is get like shown to a bedroom and she pretty much like starfishes into the mattress and passes right out uh, and then she gets woken up like hours later by what she describes as the sound of someone coming into the house and walking around in the dark in the middle of the night. So she leaves her bedroom to see who it is. And then she kind of starts to flip out when that person starts to come up the stairs. And that's the cliffhanger for chapter five. So in chapter six, uh, 
the person coming up the stairs, who could it be? It's red. It's fucking red. We all knew it was going to be red. He was outside for some stupid reason. And then he comes back in. And then he kind of like does that thing where he kind of like shushes her and like pushes her back into the room. Right. And this is where I'm going to remind you, Ariel's got a boyfriend. Or had one. This is just. I can't go on. I can't go on. I can't do it anymore. Can't do it. Can't do it. So yeah, so he pushes her into the room, and they're talking about like different, like vapid things that you talk about as a teenager before you start sucking face, and. And he's like, well, you know, I, I left my room in the middle of the night because I, my room is right by Lou and Eva's room. And they are having this knockdown, drag out fight. And I think he hit her. So his solution for domestic violence was to leave and walk around in the snow and then come back and hope it was all over. What and then, um, make it up. You know, listen. Red's real cute. <laughs> That's what he has going for him. That's it. He's the cute one. I'm just saying. Did you ever date a redhead? No. I went on a date with a redhead, but it was like one singular date. And that was it. What happened? Nothing really. It was like one of those weird high school setup things. Like someone tells you someone likes you kind of cheese ball things that I don't know how that happens. And then you end up having pizza with that person and you're like, how did I get here? But okay. See you tomorrow. <laughs> like in class. Like that's really what it was. He was, we were friends throughout high school. So it was fine, but that's really it. It was just, it was one of those things. I think that that's pretty much where our heroine is at at this point. Like, I'm here and you're here and it's weird. So let's, let's do it except not do it because this is, this is a PG 13 situation. Uh, and she's going to shut him down before things get too exciting. Uh, so we, and she says, you know, jack shit about her boyfriend or having a boyfriend or whatever. What boyfriend? We don't even know. Red's real cute. Um, so then let's see. Is the boyfriend the cable knit sweater guy? Ooh, I don't know. And I, there's a lot of like things that we'll talk about at the end that I'm not sure what happened. And I, I don't know if it was like a red herring thing or whatever, but like some things we don't ever circle back to. Okay. Um. So they have their little session. She kicks him out before it gets interesting. They wake up in the morning and Lou's downstairs making breakfast. He's frying up bacon in the pan and Eva is nowhere to be seen. And they ask, you know, where's your wife? And he says, well, you know, I've decided to let her sleep in today. Um, so then they decide they're going to go out and they're going to see if they can get the car started. When they get outside, the car is gone. Chapter seven. So there's good news and bad news in chapter seven. Uh, what, what do you want first? Um, I'll go with bad news. Ellie. Okay, bad news. Uh, the car is gone. And well, it's at the bottom of a cliff. 
Oh. The good news is they found it. <laughs> How did they find it? I don't know. So it's a big mystery. They parked the car at the edge of the cliff, and now in the morning, the car is at the bottom of the cliff. How could this have happened? But even though this Pontiac has gone over a cliff, they still think maybe they could get it towed out of the gorge and somehow get this piece of shit going again. And operational in a snowstorm <laughs> to, to get home. Um, like the phone call to like AAA or whatever existed at that point of them detailing, this is what happened to our car. Can someone come and get it? Like, I would like to know how that conversation would have gone. Like, it, what would you say? My car went off a cliff. I don't know how, but I need a toad. So, hey, thanks. <laughs> Funny story. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of where we're at. But there's also, there's a little bit of like panic starting to get woven in because it's now been suggested that Lou like either beat the shit out of his wife or like actually killed her and they're, they're ready to go. So they feel like, you know, it's a solid plan. We're going to call, call this tow truck company and get this Pontiac back where it needs to be out of the gorge exactly exactly um so they come back to the house and they're like hey lou guess what our car is in the bottom of a gorge and he's like oh no that's cool we'll call a tow truck guy i know a guy in town so he picks up the phone and guess what the phones are out i am shocked i could tell in a Definitely. blizzard, the power went out. No phones. Who well, he that? says there's no phones. The kids didn't pick up the phones. Lou tells them that the phones are out. So we're going off Lou here. Who we know yes. He, you know, he's a trustworthy guy after a couple of beers. Um, so we move on to chapter eight. And Lou lets it out that he has been watching the weather channel and there is now a second blizzard on the way in so they have this little window of time where they need to get the fuck out or they're definitely going to be there for at least another day which is real bad luck um so he kind of says okay well i have this jeep that's out in the shed it's got four-wheel drive um, I've got a couple of chores to do, but then I will see if we can get it going and get you guys back into town before this second storm comes in. So what do we do to break up the tension here? We have an adorable snowball fight. Like you do. Uh, so they have this snowball fight and everyone's frolicking in the snow. We're going to completely forget about our current situation. Uh, and then we're going to pile into Lou's Jeep. Uh, and as they're getting into the Jeep, they notice that the Jeep has Alabama plates, which is weird because they're in Vermont. They also take the time to notice that there's a snowmobile in the shed. Um, and he says that that snowmobile doesn't start. So they're all sitting in the Jeep and he turns the key. And guess what? Can you guess? I'm going to go out on the limb. And say it doesn't start. It doesn't fucking start. 
Guess what? We're stuck here with Lou the Crazy Man, his wife, who we have not seen since last night, and two sets of vapid, horny teenagers. It's going to be a fun time. It's going to be fun. So chapter nine is kind of short. They have lunch. Lou starts drinking, like you do. And Eva is still nowhere to be found. So naturally, our heroine goes looking for her. She creeps up to their bedroom and she finds her in bed. She appears to be dead because her eyes are open and she's like staring at the ceiling. And Ariel starts screaming her goddamn head off. So chapter 10 starts kind of funny. It's not supposed to be funny, but to me, this sounds fucking hilarious. Um, because the scream wakes Eva up. Okay. So try to imagine this in real life. You're Eva. Your life sucks because you've made bad choices with men who drink and own guns and possibly hit you. Your house is invaded during a snowstorm by a troop of vapid, dramatic teenagers who you offer shelter to, effectively saving their lives. And in a rare moment of peace where you're offered a morning to sleep in, one of those teenagers burst into your room and starts screaming to high hell. It's really pretty funny when you think about it. But it gets better because Eva explains that she could understand why Ariel would think that she was dead because she, quote, sometimes sleeps with her eyes open. Well, I have to say, I didn't think that was a thing. But my cousin, when she was a kid, did that. And it was frightening as all hell because they look dead. Like you imagine you're not sure if they're breathing. You have to check their breathing. Like, or, you know, I did as a kid because I never encountered that in my life. And I'm like, what is she doing? You know? So I, I would scream. I think if I saw that and had no context of what was happening, but. What was it like? Was it like half masked lidded or was it like a full open Mm -hmm. eye? She would go in between both. Like if she was in a really deep sleep, it would kind of be like a lazy eye kind of action, like a little half, you know? But then sometimes it would be full open. Like you think she was like wide awake or, you know, it was, it was, it was freaky. She doesn't do it anymore. But when she was younger, like, you know, probably middle school age and we would go on, we would go on vacations together. So we'd share hotel rooms and I would, you know, see her like this. It was never a not unsettling ever. So I'm glad you grabbed it. Oh, I just, I feel like your eyes would feel like shit. Mm-hmm. Right? Like wouldn't they be dried out and like hurt? I mean, I've slept with my contacts in when I've just gone to bed too late and forgot. And that's horrible enough. So I can imagine, I can't, I can't imagine what that like dryness must be, <laughs> must be like, though. So. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. Well, apparently Eva also sleeps with her damn eyes open. And then she says some weird shit like, you know, you shouldn't be here. Okay, Eva, but we are here and you're the one who let us in. Um, So we also notice in this scene that she's got like a big bruise on her face. So Red apparently was telling the truth about that. So meanwhile, downstairs, Lou... (laughs) Picks, picks up the phone, and in, the phones are still out, and in an adult tantrum, he decides the best way to fix the phone is to rip it from the wall. 
solid plan. I have been drunk. I have been very drunk. I have been drunk to the point where I made some very bad choices. Um, but never once in that state have I ever thought that destroying something completely would somehow fix it and make it work. <laughs> Just saying. Um, relationships don't count. No. Uh, so the chapter ends uh, with the scene from the cover where there's a person in a ski mask and they've all noticed this person in the ski mask like creeping through the snow and they don't know who it is. So it can't be Red because he's in there with him because he's on the cover with everybody. So there's a strange random person who is not Lou, who is not Eva, who is not our four characters in the snow in the ski mask. Probably just going for fucking firewood. So in chapter 11, the guy with the ski mask just disappears. We don't know where he went. We don't know where, you know, it's not like you could track him in snow, but fine. We don't know where he went. Um, And then like Red comes back in from the garage and he announces that he cannot fix the Jeep. Um, And then Lou is all, well, the phones will be fixed soon. Will they? Because you ripped it out of the wall. And how does he know? Okay. I don't know. I don't know. It's, I don't know. So, yeah. So, but he, remember, he's been drinking. He's been, they've had lunch. You know, he's already probably six beers deep. And then he starts to get pervy with Doug. Okay. Oh. Yeah. A little edgy, little edgy from like my childhood. But like, there's definitely like an undertone because he starts asking Doug stuff like, um, Oh, what's the family guy? The uh, Herbert the pervert with the walker? Like, oh, the little old guy. He's like, hey there, muscly arms. <laughs> <laughs> Doug starts asking him stuff like, you know, oh, do you work out? Oh. And uh, do you wrestle? You look like you wrestle. I used to wrestle. Like, So he ends up challenging Doug uh, to an impromptu indoor wrestling match between a grown man and a teenage boy with other teenagers watching this this sounds like real life this sounds like this happens all the time Just yeah fail. no everything's everything's fine yeah, yeah no we're gonna continue to uh <laughs> yeah okay so they <laughs> Doug resists for all of like five seconds and he's like, fine, I'm in it. And he he's wrestling Lou and he pins him down, counts to three. He's the winner of the match, right? So as he's walking away, Lou kind of gets real angry and grabs him back for round two, which Doug is not real willing for, and almost ends up like breaking his leg. Lou almost ends up breaking Doug's leg, just to be clear. And he kind of starts laughing it off like, oh, you know, he's not as strong as he thought he was and just an accident and all this other stuff. And right after this goes down, Red, who has kind of like been away in some other room, comes back and he tells Ariel, you know, we need to meet in your room in five minutes. Bring everybody like we need to talk like he's he's in full panic mode at the end of chapter 11. So at chapter 12, the teens are having a powwow and Doug is saying like he knows that Lou tried to hurt him and Red tells the group that they are in a dangerous situation because Red has overturned Lou 
Red has overheard Lou talking to Eva and telling her that they plan to rob these kids and leave them at the cabin, excuse me, with no means of escape. So they're starting to piece together that Lou and Eva don't live in the house. Um, They're noticing things like when they go outside to move that tree limb, you know, Doug's jacket didn't really fit him. And there's no real photos on the walls anywhere. And they find some photos in like a drawer, but Lou and Eva are not in any of these photos. Some other couple is. So they're starting to piece together. You know, they probably don't live there. And then also... The part that I don't get, though, is like, what do these teenagers have that they're going to fucking rob them for? Yeah. If the car is over a cliff, unless it got out and I missed it, but if the car is still over the cliff, I mean, what could they possibly have on their persons that is so valuable when when they have a house full of valuables that they're, they're like squatting in? Kind of well, a weird plan. I mean, they had, like, what, Alabama plates? Like, you're going to drive from Alabama to steal a sh- piece of shit Pontiac off of four teenagers? Like, yeah. okay. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> hey. So, choices. Choices. So we've, we've turned a corner here in this chapter. We're, we're in a full panic mode. We know these people aren't who they say they are. We know that they're possibly dangerous. We need to get out of here at all costs. So they hatched this like plan to escape. So in chapter 13, they grab their coats and then on the way out, Red suggests that Doug grabs one of the loaded guns and they open the door and leave into the blizzard single file like the fucking Scooby gang. (laughs) So in chapter 14, They're going out to see the Jeep and Red says that he actually did fix it. He just told him that he couldn't fix it so that they could sneak out and basically steal it. So they trek out to the barn and as they open the barn doors, they see a looming silhouetted figure in the dark in the barn. Someone's in the barn. And then Red yells, he's got a gun. So now this strange silhouette in the barn is also armed. So in chapter 15, there's a gunshot in the dark, and we assume that it comes from Doug, right? Doug's going to fire at random into a dark barn and hit whoever's standing there in the chest. Gotcha? Okay. So they turn on the light. Doug has shot this person. He is actually dead. Red goes over to check and see if he's dead and in, you know, his expert medical opinion. He's got no pulse, whatever. <laughs> and uh, and Doug starts freaking out because he's just killed someone. Probably by accident because they don't know who the fuck this person is. And then Ariel says that she recognizes this guy from the photographs they found in the drawer. So in chapter 16, what is happening in chapter 16? Doug is now saying that they don't have a choice. They have to go back into the house because they have to try to call the cops because he has just killed a man. 
And no one's really excited about the prospect of walking back into that house to tell Lou that they've just shot a random dude in his barn and they need to call the cops. Assuming that the phones are working, right? Because last we checked, not so much. Um, but they don't have to because they shot a fucking gun and Lou heard it and he's come running to the barn to see what's going on. And he sees a man who's dead on the floor and he starts screaming that this man is Jake and that he's Eva's brother. So chapter 17. And Lou starts to flip out because Doug has shot his brother-in-law and killed him. And he wants to call the cops. Of course, there's no phone. So Mm -hmm. he orders the kids back in the house and they're going to, he's basically going to keep them on house arrest until the phones are fixed or the roads are clear and they can get help from the police. Cause he doesn't want these people to escape that have just killed his brother. Okay. Um, and then he also says that they need to now move the body. Okay. okay. Is a thing. I mean, they didn't have. I mean, maybe they had unsolved mysteries. Maybe. But there was no forensic files. Right. Or maybe there was. Some of those forensic files are old as shit. That's true. I'd have to like Google it and find out how old forensic files are. I feel like he should have known not to move the body, though. Yeah. But he, he does. He enlists the boys to move the body. So the boys move the body to the cellar, and then they get kind of locked into the room that Ariel um, had slept in the night before. And they're kind of in there talking about their situation. Doug's freaking out because he's, you know, he thinks his future is over. Um, And Shannon brings up the point that, like, there really wasn't a lot of blood. Like, Doug shot this guy in the chest. There should have been more blood. And it barely, he barely bled at all. And now Ariel has decided she wants to get a closer look at the body because she's a fucking pathologist. Oh, okay. okay. So Lou basically locks him in the room and is like, don't leave this room. I'm going to be listening. You're going to stay here till the cops come. So she waits, you know, five minutes and leaves the room and goes down to the cellar to look at this body. And she freaks herself out. She bumps around in the dark. And she finally finds the body. And the first thing that she notices is that it is literally frozen solid. The body is stiff. The body is cold. And I really thought that, like, it was going to end up being a mannequin. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not. It's an actual body. It's just a body that is frozen completely solid. And she gets kind of a look at the gunshot wound. And there is no new blood for someone who is just shot in the chest. So she has now decided she's solved this mystery. And as she kind of turns around to go back up, there's someone else in the basement with her. And guess who it is? It's probably. Maybe it's the wife. I'm going to say it's the wife this time. No, it's red. Oh, it's like, this is a real bad time to make out red. No. Um, I mean, I know he's hot and I get that, but like. Just a minute. Like, I just solved a mystery. I'm feeling good about myself. Like, can you give me, like, five minutes to absorb this before, like, give me a break? Right. And so some people may feel like a dead body corpse is a romantic setting, but I I don't think, 
I don't feel like Ariel is the type of person who would feel that way. I think it's all about context. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. Probably not. Probably not. Just saying. So she's like, no, you know, let's go upstairs. I need to talk to everyone. I've, I've figured it out. So they go upstairs and she's like, I have solved this mystery. And I skipped ahead of my notes. Um, And she announces to the crew that Jake was already dead and had been dead for hours in the snow, long enough to freeze him completely solid. And when Doug shot him, Jake was long dead. And that's why he didn't bleed. So they're excited. They're trying to like plot their next escape because now they don't need to stick around. They feel no guilt. They know that like they've been set up. Lou has set them up for Doug to take the fall for killing this Jake person who's apparently been dead for a long time. They're about to leave and Red pulls a gun on everyone. And we were all shocked. All of us. Now, don't you think Ariel feels like a whore? She was sucking his tongue like five seconds earlier. I'm just saying. She should start to choose like that anyway because she had a boyfriend. Well, you gotta think about this from Red's perspective too. Like, if you're part of like a very, very complicated uh, murder plot thing, and then you're trying to pin it on, like, do you stop for ass? <laughs> Is that in the handbook? Do you stop? <laughs> it's it's a good question. Like, maybe we'll get some answers in our Facebook group because we've got a pretty good crew. Like, you put yourself in Red's shoes. Do you stop for ass? Like, do we t- do we take a time out from all the stress? And yeah. like, not get laid. <laughs> I think that's a good question to the group. We have we have people who are, I think who would contribute some good answers to that question. Yes, we will definitely see. But in chapter twenty, we're in chapter twenty now. It's time for the villains monologue, and we get it from Lou and Red. Oh, Red, who it turns out is Eva's other brother bum, bum, bum. and also Jake's brother so it comes out that Eva and Lou and Red um, are all related to Jake who has inherited this ski lodge and spent all their inheritance and they got fed up with it I guess and decided to drive here kill him and collect all of the money that he's, like, taken away from them. Okay. Solid plan. Solid. And so as they're giving this villain's monologue, Eva comes in and she's like, you know what? I don't care anymore about what Jake did. I'm being torn apart by this guilt. I'm not going to let you pin it on these kids. I've already called the cops. And they are coming. And at this point, the kids make a break for it. They make a break out the door. They're running in the snow. And they're running for the for the barn because they're going to see if they can get the snowmobile that we foreshadowed earlier to start. So all three of them pile onto the snowmobile. They're in hot pursuit by Lou and Red behind them, and they take off. Ariel, who is our heroine, she's driving the snowmobile. She sees the lake. She sees kind of this black patch of ice, and she gets this idea. So she wrecks the snowmobile, sends everybody flying. 
And she's trying to make a break for it and get away, but Red kind of catches her. And he's got the gun on her. Lou is with them. I don't know where the fuck the other two are. He doesn't, he doesn't tell us. And the cops have now shown up at the house. We can see them at the distance. We're standing by the snowy lake. We're being held at gunpoint by Red. Red's talking to Lou about how he's not going down for this murder. He's going to use Ariel as a human shield and a hostage. He's not going to jail. So Ariel somehow distracts them. I can't remember exactly what it was that she did, but she distracts them. She breaks off and she takes off across the ice, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, Red follows her because at this point, Lou has kind of given up. He's, understand, he's probably 12 beers deep at this point. He's chased this bitch all over the snow. The cops are already here. He's not running out on the ice to get her. So she runs out. Red follows her. The ice cracks. He falls in, dies a horrible death, and she can see him underneath the ice floating by ever so slowly. And she makes her way back to the cops, and so does everybody else. Lou and Eva get arrested. And here's the thing that's a little bit crazy. In the last... <laughs> this thing is a little bit crazy. <laughs> In the last chapter, um, Stein takes us all home with these kids. It's been like a day, okay? And he takes all of a paragraph to let us know that, like... Everybody got arrested who was bad. Everybody who was good made it home. And now they're joking about, you know, what are we going to do next weekend? And you know, anything but another ski weekend. <laughs> and I feel like these kids laugh through their teeth. Yeah. Like, hmm. hmm, 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 hmm. The um, family guy character with the, is it the big chin. The little like yes yeah <laughs> yes it's like that yeah. <laughs> but that's the end of the book that is the whole thing like <laughs> uh yeah not great uh not great for endings but i don't i don't know it's hard to explain like it's a lot of fun to make fun of as an adult but i, I can't pretend like this wasn't my 100 percent shit to do um as like a preteen do you remember did they have walden's books in the mall mm -hmm. oh yes remember walden's mm -hmm. you would always go to the back uh -huh. to the young young adult section um and i would shell out i believe it was like 6.99 or maybe 5.99 for a single book and it'd last you like a day yeah it's like a hit were, of crack yeah, they were at least five or six dollars. They weren't like super cheap, and they were not very. They were not long. Like I would remember having to, like, decide. Okay, I'm gonna read six chapters, so I stop, you know, and I keep my book because I can't go get another one for a few more days, you know. So. Well, because you couldn't ever get them from the library because they would they would all be checked out. There was nothing left. Yeah, it was. Everybody was buying the same books, so yeah, or wanting the same same books. Yeah, no, I I, I remember pretty clearly. Um, trying to think about how to wrap it up. Um, 
what you remind me of too now that I'm remembering is they're like the slight horror version of like Sweet Valley High and those other like silly teen dumb decision making <laughs> books I don't know if you ever read those but Sweet Valley High was I, like <laughs> I think I got bored with those I was never on board with like Babysitter's Club or Sweet Valley High um, I needed I needed a horror aspect of it to keep my interest, uh, but at the same time, I wanted that to be delivered with like a healthy dose of like, um, definitely the teen romance was always a part of it. Um, but he was also really good though about like putting you in that place, like you felt like you were in Shady Side, and if it was a story about shady side in the fall, like you, you could see it in your mind. You could see the fall leaves or if it was in the winter, you could see the snow and you could see the high school and people's locker. Like he just, he had it for some reason, he had a really good way of like transporting you, putting you in that place. And it was a good place and a scary place, but it was a safe place. And speaking of safe places, we are going to leave you now and go back to where we came from. And next week, you will have your wonderful hosts again. Because we'll feed them and eventually untie them. And you'll get them. You'll get them back. Right, Danielle? We should, we should untie them. Eventually. I mean. Eventually. I think Kenny's slightly enjoying it a little bit. You know, I think Katie fell asleep. I think Katie fell asleep too. I know she's like, is she still fasting? She was fasting for a little while. So I feel. Oh, fuck. Were we supposed to feed her? No, no. She didn't tell us her feeding, her feeding schedule. Um, so we're going to, we're going to figure that out. We're going to go check on that. And until we do that, are we going to do the stay spooky thing? Should we we do the stay spooky? Or we can do always watching because. We're all oh. <laughs> okay. So, just remember, we're always watching. 